Welcome to another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nipan Anand. A podcast aimed at engaging with different viewpoints and perspectives about how we as human beings learn, unlearn, recognize risk, tackle risk, and become culturally sensitive. Talking of which, we have a three days workshop coming up in London from the 21st to 23rd of February on culture and risk intelligence. If you're wondering what is the connection between culture and risk intelligence, my answer is this. How can we recognize risk in our everyday life by stepping into another culture? How much do we tend to normalize and assume as we go about making sense of the world around us until we meet someone from another culture who sees things completely different to us? In those moments, what do we do? Do we judge them? Do we control them? Do we evaluate their culture, their rituals, habits, language, behaviors, ethics, and narratives from our point of view, or do we genuinely make an attempt to understand their culture from their own point of view? That takes confronting our own assumptions and expanding our worldview, and that is what makes us culturally sensitive and risk intelligent. If you want to hear more, you can go on our website nebelas.solutions slash events and you'll find all the details on the event page including a detailed brochure of what we will cover in this workshop. Morning Nipin. Hey Pedro, how are you? Good, good. Uh, First discussion we had in Croatia about why culture uh it is cultural understand understanding culture is is important for for risk intelligence so before um moving on from there perhaps summing up what we discussed what what do you think is the key idea that we 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 extracted from that first episode yeah so the the, the key idea was um, to make a connection between cultural sensitivity or understanding culture um, and risk intelligence. So if you take the idea of risk intelligence as the ability to make good decisions, right? Now, what do we mean by good decisions? Um, if you think about all decision-making originating from the unconscious mind, which is basically that all decision-making has certain biases, certain assumptions in it, then how can we become better at making those decisions. The way to make good decisions is to be able to rationalize what is coming through emotions and feelings. And the trouble is that I am not aware of my biases. I'm not aware of my assumptions. I'm not aware of my worldview until I relate with another person, until I go and meet another person and, and, see the world through their eyes or allow them to question my deepest held beliefs, my myths, my language, my symbols, and so on. And I think in that sense, being culturally sensitive, which is appreciating that there are other forms of life, appreciating that there are other religions, there are other myths, there are other subjectivities, um, allows me to surface my own assumptions and hence make better decisions. Yeah. So everything the, is through relationships 
and everything is through experiencing those relationships. And I think that is the relation, the the the, the connection between cultural sensitivity and risk intelligence. Great, great. I think that sums it up very well. Um, and um, so the the thing that we committed to do this time around is okay. So how do we turn this into practice? How do we explore? How do we explore this in? And how do we bring this into an organization? What are we facing up to? Absolutely, and then uh, we will talk about that within a framework uh, which, in social psychology of risk, we refer to as the culture cloud. Uh, I have the cloud right in front of me, drawn on a whiteboard, so I will occasionally refer to it because there's far too much to cover in this next 15-20 minutes. But even before we did that, uh, there are some terms that we need to become familiar with before we delve into the culture cloud. One is the idea of unconscious, that a lot of culture, in fact, all the culture lives in the unconscious space without our knowledge. So if I was to summarize in two words what culture means, it means what we share unconsciously between us. The shared unconscious. And the term shared unconscious comes from Carl Jung, right? So what does, what does that shared unconscious really mean? What do we share unconsciously between us, which sits below the conscious level, below the head, under the shoulders, in, 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 in our heart, in our gut, in our bodies. What is it that we share unconsciously? Uh, we share um, certain habits. We share certain uh, behaviors. We share certain rituals. Um, we share certain narratives. We share a very, uh, very specific history. Uh, we share uh, such certain language, certain artifacts, certain symbols and slogans. And the beauty of all that I discussed just now as part of the culture mm -hmm. cloud is shared unconsciously. And if we start to think about these things and bring them to surface, and which means bring them to our conscious awareness, then we become culturally intelligent. But we can only do that in a conversation. So mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, a conversation is all about a meeting between two people where we, we are brave enough, we are courageous enough to suspend our agenda. For example, I'm going on an audit or an investigation um, and for a, for a few minutes, I let go of the idea that I have a scope in this investigation, I have a scope in this audit. The first thing is not the scope and, and, and of the audit and investigation, but keeping an open mind to what people have to say before I start looking into even my checklist, right? Agenda is important because at the end of the day, we are accountable. We have to, to, to come back and produce a report. But sometimes what happens is that agenda keeps us from appreciating things that we don't know of. And it's very easy to go into the rabbit hole. So suspend your agenda for a few minutes, at least for some time. Um, let go of the idea that you are in control of the situation because that's an illusion. You are not in control of anything at all. Stay open. And the third thing is when you are meeting another person, 
you give them your 100% attention, which is you attend to the other person. You see another person as an equal. You don't see them as a subordinate. You see them as an equal, which we have a tendency to do that when we go and evaluate another culture. So in a conversation, we suspend our agenda. We let go of control and we attend to the other person in order for us to appreciate their myths, their symbols, their way of living. And that is how we understand our biases and assumptions and so on, which is very, very important if we want to learn something new and if we want to understand the limits of our our uh, our worldview, mm-hmm. the way we see the world and become risk intelligent. I think that that is the key to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's it's important to to really understand what we mean by conversations here. Uh, I I imagine people watching this or listening to it and and see well. I have conversations. I talk to people all day long in my organization and outside of it. But I think the understanding of of a conversation has become, or the idea of a conversation has become more of a fencing of argumentation. Um, rather than actually what you just mentioned, which is suspending your agenda, actually attending to the person. Um, so what you're saying is those are the 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 ingredients, if you like, that need to be brought into an organization in order to transform uh, a, a duel that has become most of the conversations into an actual conversation. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's such a good point because um, a good conversation is when you have no idea where it will go in the end. You have no idea. Uh, it's some people would call it the emergent nature of a conversation that you start off in once one location and you end up in a completely different place, which was unknown to you and the one you were conversing with completely unknown. And that is because um, a lot of uh, things that you discover, the word discover is very important, uh, were never thought about at the start because they floated up from the unconscious of both of you. And I think there's a there's many many examples that I can give you, but may perhaps we should we should move on from here. Um, I think most people recognize and have experienced um, in their own uh, lives certain conversations that left them absolutely bewildered, absolutely um, confused in some ways, and come to realize how little I kn- knew before I started this conversation. I think we've all had those moments. Yes. Uh, so I think you touched upon yet another important element, which is the experience of it. Uh, and maybe that's a good point to come back to the culture cloud that you also mentioned. Yes, experience is very important, Pedro, because I think um, a lot of uh, training courses I have been on and I get very frustrated, uh, even uh, something as simple as how the the room is laid out um, uh, is does not help you to make connection with the with the environment and you know simple things like the trainer is facilitating a course and you're sitting in a theater or you're sitting in a classroom as a passive ob- ob- absorbent absorber of that knowledge and so in that exchange one person is speaking and everyone else is just taking information in which makes it very brain-centric, which makes it very information-led. 
um and uh, you never actually experience you it never actually penetrates into your body in your heart in your gut it never what you are experiencing does not resonate with you because it remains at a very uh, at the level of the brain i'll give you an example of that i was in a in a quaker meeting and i i go there very often in aberdeen and uh, you know quakers have a very very um very interesting ritual which is to meet on a weekly basis in silence and you would have a group of 10 15 20 people just sitting in the room in silence for about an hour now these it's not complete silence as you enter into the room they explain the ritual to you in the on the first in the first occasion and then you just go and take a seat and then what happens is after after a long period of silence maybe 20 minutes or so in this case um one person got up and he said something about his concerns about climate change right in the way the climate is changing and he was deeply deeply concerned about it and he sat down it was complete silence again and another 10 minutes somebody else got up he started started to talk about the war in israel right and he narrated his story and then he sat down and then somebody else got up and she started to talk about health inequality right now if you were to to look for a golden thread in this conversation there is none but what i took away from this this experience was that unlike in many corporate meetings that i have been part of there is no argumentation there is no building up to say my argument is better than yours there is no um, counter argument um, it is a complete acceptance of an individual's expression uh, and that's it that's it you have a concern you get up and then there is complete silence again what a wonderful meeting and then at the end of the meeting somebody uh, asked me um to why are you here and i said i just came here to experience this place uh i've heard a lot about quaker meetings and i could go and read so many books but i would never come anywhere close to what i experienced just now everything that i took in my body took in to which somebody else said that uh, you have to listen to this it's very funny actually said that this is very interesting because somebody who studying theology came here a few weeks ago and he asked so many questions and at one point she jokingly said my head i almost felt like his head was swollen before he left this place what a wonderful expression to say that how much of life is lived in the brain in this space above the shoulders that it's by absorbing information it's by asking more questions it's you know it's the same thing like how the classrooms are laid out laid out in in schools is and through this brain centric way of living we can understand what the quaker meeting is we understand none of that if we really wanted to do that we could go on on in an, on an encyclopedia we can go on wikipedia we can go and read a book on quakers and we can get everything from there but 
what is the beauty of understanding culture is that it has to be experientially understood. You have to be in the moment and you have to take it in all as a whole person. And this was the point I was trying to make earlier that if you want to understand culture, you have to, to be there. You have to, 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 to take things in. Uh, you have to experience the culture semiotically. You have to take the environment the, all all the symbols and the metaphors and the artifacts and the language and you have to take it all in and this is where all culture is understood experientially um there was a you know we are doing these weekly courses right now and i started off with a with a girl and i asked her she said i said how's it going for you and she responded by saying uh, nipin i can't i can't understand most of it at the moment, it's 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 too too abstract, but it all feels very good. It all I, I can all I can already feel it. So much before knowing, you can actually feel things, and I think the feeling of it is so important to understand culture. Yeah. So, Nipin, just to to bring it down a bit, uh, what I guess what we're saying is that uh, what how this needs to come into an organization is. Uh, Precisely that, instead of trying to me measure and dissect culture, which will only make your head swollen, uh, actually try and just experience it for a while. And it's it's about really um, getting good at experiencing culture and being there with your organization, in your organization. Uh does that sound good? Yes. You remember when we were in Stavanger, we went for a walk. Yeah. Uh, and um, as we were going on a walk, I asked everyone, you take a picture uh, and start thinking about how does it connect with you? How does this picture connect? Amongst the many other questions that, that we asked. And it was so fascinating that, you know, in one of the pictures, for example, somebody took a picture of a hut uh, with a slope um, uh, and... And I asked everyone, what is so unique about this picture? And they all had something to say. But one of the things that was in the unconscious was that the hut had a slope. And so, which which nobody questioned, because, you know, it's the collective unconscious of this culture in the West that a hut must have a slope, a house must have a slope. Now, if you go into another culture, the house does is does not have that slope, right? But you won't understand that until you meet somebody from another culture. And I think so that that semiotic experience of going around and just questioning things and how they connect with us, things that we question and things that we never question is so integral to culture and understanding what do we share unconsciously in our in our semiosphere, in our symbols, in our metaphors, in the way we see the world around us. Yes. Yeah. Uh just on that same topic one similar walk that we had in athens and uh, one thing that i found very striking then was uh, someone that was sleeping on a doorstep and we uh, when we came back to the uh, meeting room uh, discussing how we felt for this person is we immediately assumed that this was um, uh, someone going through a hard time sleeping on the street. Um, and, uh, and I noticed, but if you look closely, 
you see a spotless, clean, almost looking brand new uh, sleeping bag and also a brand new uh, backpack. Um, does that sound? Which, which you know, it, it it's being a, paying attention to it, being there and paying attention, observing, uh, and that that I think is something that we also discussed quite a lot here. And the moment you pay attention to such details, you start to see a radically different picture around you. You do, Pedro, but I think uh, something very powerful in what you said is that uh, what does paying attention really mean? Paying attention uh, means suspending your agenda, um, giving up control and attending to the other. Uh, the only way we make connection to somebody lying on the floor is that I am, I, I have never done this, so he must be less than me, right? Now, I'll give you an example from the maritime world. I once investigated an accident uh, in the Singapore Straits uh, of a ship being um, which was which was going in in a convoy with other ships, and uh, the company came to the conclusion that the accident happened, the collision happened because this ship was not following a safe speed, right? So, what is the safe speed? The safe speed stipula stipulated in the company safety management system is eighteen knots, which is about between twenty five and thirty kilometers an hour, and this ship was doing two or three knots more than that, and Based on that, very quickly evaluate, make the judgment that the ship is doing a fast speed, so that must be the reason. Now, when you look at every other ship in that area, is actually doing the same speed as that ship. And according to the captain, if he did any less than them, he would create an opportunity for other ships coming very close as they overtake this ship. And the point I'm trying to make is, is this, that we never actually take the time to understand the culture. We are so quick at making judgments. We are so quick because thinking is hard. Understanding another point of view is different, is difficult. So we try to close that gap by putting our own worldview into the situation rather than understanding another worldview. And I think that is a skill that you develop once you become culturally sensitive. It's if you look at the cultural cloud, uh, if we go through it, we talk about behaviors. We talk about behaviors, and this is a very you know um, concise kind of a podcast. But obviously, we can talk in more details. But people are more than what you see them at a particular moment in a day. You know, when somebody is in 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 stress, that person is not the same person as what he or she would be in a in their usual life. We all know that when people are under stress they are on the opposite side of the temperament. A lot of people cannot handle stress. You know, if you, um, if you look at, um, and for example, my wife, you know, at 7.30 in the morning when kids have to go to school, she's a completely different person. And she's very stressed out. In those moments, it, she can be the complete opposite of what she is on, 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 on an average basis. So what sense does it make to evaluate people's behavior in a stressful situation when when you want to 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 make things safer yes. you have no idea what that person so th this this mechanistic idea of labeling people as negligent alcoholics uh, 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 careless uh, not having enough situational awareness is pointless if we don't engage with them if we don't understand what is what 
what is the basis of behavior, which is the unconscious, right? Then we talk about um, um, things like, for example, um, you want to understand the history, which is integral to culture. How do you go about understanding history? What, what, what methods and techniques do we have to understand his, history? Uh, it turns out that in most organizations, you will fall back on, on um, accidents, near misses, you will fall back on on uh, on successes. You know some some big projects, some big big awards won, and the trouble is that most of those oversimplified reports or narratives are don't give give you a detailed understanding of what was the what was the situation there. So, for example, um, in near misses, we see somebody is being disciplined, but we never actually. We never actually uh, get to understand their side of the story. Never. So the history that you are relying on to evaluate a culture is very oversimplified. It's 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 full of facts. It's full of evidences, but it it almost always misses the voice of the marginalized, the voice of the powerless. So what are you really relying on? The the trends, the patterns are all about the hero myth. And the anti-hero myth: Who did something wrong, and who who was who was the hero behind this success? So you end up in a very tricky situation if you don't have an understanding of how to engage with history. Yeah. But yeah. just on that particular note, um, very recently I had an interaction with somebody. Uh, with so I wanted to bring that person um, some some uh, not so pleasant news about what was going on in their organization, and. Even before I could finish my first sentence, the response was, I cannot accept this allegation. If I did, I will have to close down the operations of this place. And my point was that it's not an allegation. It's an invitation to understand what's going on in the organization. And the beauty of it, Pedro, is that if you're not emotionally intelligent, if you're not culturally intelligent, you will never be able to grasp that experience because yeah. it, it it stays just here, it never goes here. And as that person was hearing what I was saying, I could already see his body was rejecting all of that. His body just could not cope with it. In Damasio's words, you're not culturally intelligent because your homeostasis, your life processes go out of balance when you are faced with a threat or an opportunity or anything in between. So a large part of being culturally intelligent is to be able to realize your emotions when you're confronted with something new. And that, so as part of this cultural cloud framework, you help people realize that how much of life is lived at the brain-centric level, rejecting everything that denies your worldview, that challenges mm -hmm. your worldview. And I think in many ways, it's a journey because one cannot expect people to become culturally intelligent in a day. It's impossible, even in a two or three day session. It's a journey that everyone has to experience, that you cannot control the world. Forget about the world. You cannot control your own children. So why not embrace uncertainty why not embrace the unknown 
and learn something new about yourself in order for you to make better decisions in life, more mature decisions in life. Yes. And I think that is the the core of it. Yeah. I, I just want yeah. to share with you. I think you've seen this mug, but you know, uh, the lion is, is the is the arrogant one, and the mouse is the courageous one. I call the mouse courageous because uh, at the end of the day, um, it's the mouse whose life is at 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 danger when he comes out of his burrow every day in search for food. Um, the lion has no such issues. He can roam around when and eat whenever he or she is hungry. But when the lion sits in patience in patience and listens to the mouse, amazing things happen. Most lions in organizations are not aware of their own worldview, of their own limitations. And a lot of them genuinely believe, they genuinely believe that they engage with the mouse. They believe so. Yeah. Until you do a semiotic exercise like an IQ session with them and, and map their conversation with another person to show how much of their life is lived is or the ethics is all about controlling the other person, solving their problems, apologizing to them, uh, holding them to account or whatever, but never actually understanding this person's point of view. Never. Very rarely it happens. And that is, I think, good for the mouse, of course, for the lion, but for the entire organization. Yeah. You know, Pedro, the interesting thing about uh, social psychology of risk and and the, the framework that we use for understanding culture is that there are tools and methods to put it in practice. You know, simple things like like the, the this, this pocketbook, very simple pocketbook that you can tuck into your pocket and and just go through it for, for a few seconds before the audit or investigation is to say, this is the culture cloud. Um, and how do I go about familiarizing myself with the culture of this place? And it's got all the, the checks and, and simple keywords that you can use uh, to take your cultural intelligence to the next level. And it's all semiotic, very little text, very little slogans, very little presentations. It's all semiotic. It's all visual. And what's, once it becomes that visual, that model becomes part of your body. You don't even need any of this. You can, you can just throw yeah. it away. And you can do it yourself because it's all a part of body now. Yeah. I think we've extended, uh, we, we've learned, we let it go and it, we ended up where we, we didn't expect to as any good conversation. Uh, how would you like to close this up? Uh, well, uh, I don't know, Pedro. I think uh, the idea of this session was to, to give people a, a flavor of uh, how to put uh, cultural intelligence into practice. And I think we've done that. Obviously, I will include the Culture Cloud uh, um, semiotic as part of this podcast. Uh, also, there are books that Dr. Rob Long has written, uh, wonderful books to explain these things in practice. We have a workshop coming up in London in March, uh, from the 20th until 22nd of March, where we will discuss, it's a three days workshop where the first two days um, is all about um, uh, classroom uh, discussions and reflections on culture. And the third day, we actually take people on a walk uh, 
to experience culture, which is the essence of what we discussed today. So there's plenty of opportunities for people who really want to learn more about culture. That's that's all. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Do you have any questions, any feedback, any comments, any criticism? You can always write to us. You can write to me personally at support at novellas.solutions. You can also leave a message for us on our website, novellas.solutions. You can email me personally at nepin.anand.novellas.solutions and you can find me on LinkedIn. Until then, have a good day.